The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. So this weekend, Super Bowl 51, Atlanta Falcons is going to be going up against the number one seed, New England Patriots. And so there's going to be tens and thousands of people in attendance. There's going to be millions watching worldwide. There's going to be fans, spectators, and sports analysts alike that, that's setting their, their picks, that's making their predictions. So right now, I want to take a quick poll. You guys watching online, you can place your predictions right now. And you can let us know what your picks are right there in the comment section. So, show of hands, how many predict the New England Patriots are going to win this game? All 10 of us. All right. So, how many predict that the Atlanta Falcons would win this game? Okay. All right. So, here, here, here's, the, here's the kicker. How many are just picking the Atlanta Falcons because they don't like the New England Patriots? Another show of hands, how many people just care, no care whatsoever about football, they just care about the food and commercials? That's kind of where I'm at. That's right. But you know what? That's a pretty simple prediction, ain't it? Just because in a few hours, someone's going to be a loser and someone's going to be a winner and someone's going to raise up that, that Lombardi trophy at the end of the game. Let me make a bigger prediction. I want to make a much bolder prediction. It's going to be about your life. I may not even know if you're a guest with us today. I, I have no clue who you are, but I'm going to make a prediction about your life, about my life, about everyone else that's tuning in online. Here's my prediction. That at the end of your life, the thing that you're going to regret the most is not the things that you wish you could redo or undo. It's going to be the things that you wish you would have said yes to. So here's where I got that prediction of. Two decades ago, there was these two social psychologists that, that made a differentiation between two types of regrets. The first type of regret is an action regret. Worse, you said decisions you made that you wish you could just not say again or not do again. And then there's an inaction regret. Things that, that you just let slip out of your hands. Opportunities that you just chose not to seize. And the results were pretty fascinating. So, they say in the short term, more people will regret action regrets over inaction regrets, 53% to 47%. Depending on who you are, it's going to determine where you fall in the, in the scale. Now, as time goes on, what they say is more people will regret inaction over action, 84% to 16%. That's a huge leap depending on the time. For me, I've got my own words that I wish I could reel back and unsay and things that I've done, decisions that i made that I wish, wish that I've never made. And you know what? The reality is so do you. And we all wish that sometimes we're, we're more like Superman where we can fly so fast, counter-rotational to the world and rewind back to that time when we said that word and did that thing and said, redo. But the truth is, life doesn't have a rewind button. It just keeps playing on and on and on, and the reality is we'll regret more of the things that we wish we would have said yes to at that present moment than the things that we wish we could redo. So let me ask you a question. What victories right now are you forfeiting because you're so scared to lose? What opportunities, what dreams, what aspirations are you not seizing because, quite frankly, you're scared of failure? Are we living safe and settled lives? Are we living caged lives that in the, the short period, we think that we're making a really good and solid decision, but in the long term, we end up missing the mark. We end up missing our purpose, our God-given 
destinies. Are we walking around life right now thinking something's going to go horribly wrong and there's this big bad wolf out to steal, kill our dreams and our aspirations? And because that wolf is so scary, we'd rather not chase after those dreams and settle for safe. Can I just say something? What if the big mistake that you're so scared to make that big problem that, that you don't think you can solve, that big impossibility that is taunting you and right in front of you, what if God is using that very thing to set you up for him to show up in your life? So I want to take a passage of scripture found in 2 Samuel chapter 23 and, and talk about real quick a story of a guy named Benaiah. So this passage of scripture is not just ancient history, but it's actually sacred history. So it first talks about David, who was a shepherd boy turned king of God. He saw nations conquered and he saw giants topple down. And this guy is now on the tail end of his life and his career. He's on his deathbed. And he's recounting all the exploits and the people that God surround him around. And there was these three mighty men of David. These guys were bad Bama Jamas. These guys were battle-tested, boot camp trained, brave hearts. These guys were fearless. He had a guy named Josheb. He had an 800 to 1 odds, stood his ground, fought against 800 different individuals, and he won. He had another guy, Eleazar, where him and Eleazar stood their ground while the rest of his men ran away. They stood their ground. Eleazar fought so hard, his, his fist literally froze to the sword, and they won in battle. They had a guy named Shammah where everyone else ran away. So I'm not even sure what kind of people David was, uh, was having on his arm, but they kept running away. But Shammah stood his ground, defended the land, and defeated the Philistine army. A guy named Benaiah is where we want to pick up our story. So it's in, in verse 20 and 21. It says, Benaiah was the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man from Kabzeel, who had done many deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. And he killed an Egyptian, a spectacular man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, so he went down to him with a staff, wrestled the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and killed him with his own spear. So let's just get it out the way. It's a pretty epic story. That's a pretty epic life for Benaiah. But here's a little bit of the obvious for you. He was not the odds-on favorite to win any one of those encounters. He was the two-to-one underdog when he faced up against Moab and their two champions. And if I was a, a betting man, if I was to bet against uh, uh, an average-sized Israelite and a giant with a spear, my bets would go towards the big giant guy with a pointy thing, pointing at that small guy. And, and I don't even know how you begin to calculate the odds of man versus beast. Man versus man-eating lion, king of the jungle. An average lion can weigh up to 500 pounds, run 35 miles an hour, and its vision is five times greater than a person with perfect 20-20 vision. And Benaiah goes down into the pit with this thing, and you would, you would think to yourself, if that was me, that would spell disaster. If it was the lion, it would spell dinner because on a snowy condition, they're much more ferocious. They're much more stronger because their, their desire for food. But for Benai, he saw an opportunity. That one decision 
changed the rest of the decisions for Benaiah. That, that one day changed every day for Benaiah. And so at the tail end of Benaiah's career, this is what it says in verse 22 and 23. It says, these things Benaiah the son of Jehoiada did and won a name among the three mighty men. He was more honored than the 30, but he did not attain to the first three. And David appointed him over his guard. So, yeah, obviously that was a good decision by David appointing him head over his bodyguards because you're going to need a guy like that watching your back. The guy that says, I will go into battle and fight with lesser weapons, steal my enemy's weapons and kill him with it. I'm going to go counter-instinctive while everyone else is running away. I'm going to run towards battle. I'm going to go into lion's turf and kill him with it. That's the guy that you want training the rest of your bodyguards. So you may be asking yourself, well, what's this guy do with me? What's this got to do with you? Well, if we want to lock in in 2017, if we want to lock into the dreams, the plans, aspirations of God, if we want to see marriages restored, relationships reconciled, addictions broken, if we want any of those things to happen in our lives, we're going to need much more than just crazy courage. We're going to need much more than just reckless zeal. What we're going to need is, is something that Benaiah had. So what did he have? So if you have something to write with, I want to encourage you to take some notes. So in your program, there's a place to take notes. Download the app if you guys are using your smartphone. You guys tuning in online, there's a place in there as well where you can take notes on the sidebar note section there. So here's the principle that pops out from the pages of Scripture. Here's what Benaiah had that we need to start applying in our lives. It's this. You need to chase your lines. That's right. We need to chase our lines. I get it. No one wakes up, roll over. Uh, off their bed thinking, I'm going to go put myself in grave danger today. I'm going to go and run after a 500-pound man-eating beast. I'm going to go after that dream that has the potential to blow up in my face, and I have the potential to fail at this one thing. I, I, I get no one wants to be on that boat, but I also get that no one wants to look at the end of their life and say, I wish I would have said yes to that moment too. Why? Because we want to live a life of courage. We want to live a life of bravery. Just like Benaiah, how we're reading about his life, we want to live our lives in such a way that people can talk about it. We want to live our lives in such a way where there's success in it, but not just success, there's significance. Can I just tell you that's impossible for every single one of us to attain. You see, there's this innate thing inside every single one of us that cowers us in fear, that makes us run the other direction and walk intimidated, fearful of, of the unknown. And this, this is a root of what biblical authors call sin. Sin is any action, any thought, any intention that goes contrary to who God is. And this sin creates in us a perpetual state of destruction. Where we think we're running away from danger, this sin actually helps us to run into destruction and ruin our lives. Not only killing us physically, but also killing us spiritually. Where one would live separate from God and all things good forever. So God seeing the state of our sin. He saw the fate of our fear. He loved us so much, so he sent Jesus, his one and only son, his perfect son, to go into the pit of our lives, the pit of our hearts, the, the destruction of, of our lives, and he conquered the raging lion of sin, of death, and hell. And so when Jesus came, he looked to the cross, and he came down with bravery. He came down with Christ-like courage, and went to the cross, and he died once and for all, so that those that would believe in Jesus by faith, they'd be forgiven. 
You, you may, may think that, okay, my, my slate is wiped clean. There's no more regrets that I'm going to look back on. Yeah, that all that slate is wiped clean. But just because you're forgiven doesn't mean you'll stop being fearful. You will continue to live in a state of fearful living, running away, making, making up other regrets that we'll soon look back on, wishing that we'd seize those moments. So Jesus rose from the grave, defeating sin, death, and hell through the power of his resurrection. He gives us a new life. So how do we receive this new life? So God's spirit enters our spirit. There's a spiritual exchange that takes place. So the spirit that lived fearful, the spirit that lived cowardly, the spirit that, that would run away is now exchanged with a spirit of courage, is now exchanged with a spirit of power, with bravery. The spirit of the lion chaser is now dwelling in us. And so Jesus, one of his closest friends, Peter, he was talking about the type of opposition lion chasers will end up having to face. And he says this in his book, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9. And this is what he says. He says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith, Remember that your family of believers all, all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering that you are. Every single one of us is facing an enemy. He says the devil is walking around, prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour, looking for someone to, to instill fear in their hearts. But he says, stand firm. Just like the rest of David's mighty men, they were able to stand their ground. The only way that you and I can stand our ground when we have a great enemy like that looking after us is if we're strong in our faith. We have to know that we can't do this alone, but we have to be strong in our faith. That's how we can conquer it. We not just receive the courage of Jesus Christ, the lion chaser inside of us. We also receive his victory as well. So that very thing that's prowling around, trying to devour your dreams, trying to devour your God-given purpose and your destiny, now you can chase after it. Because the lion chaser spirit that dwells inside of you and I. So how do, we, how do we become lion chasers? How do we live this thing out practically? So I want to give you three complimentary thoughts. The first is this. To be a lion chaser, you have to face your lion. Verse 20 and 21, this is what it says. It says, Benaiah was the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man from Kabzeel, who had done many deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. So... Before Benaiah ever chased his lion into a pit, he had to face his battle against the two lion-like heroes, two lion-like champions of Moab. Why? The truth is you and I cannot chase the lions that God has for us until we start facing the lions that he's put right in front of us. Benaiah would have never been in position of chasing his lion if he had never faced the two lion-like champions of Moab that was right in front of him. Where you're facing will determine what you're chasing. If you're not facing the right direction, you're going to be chasing the wrong thing. I get it. There's some things in your life that seems awfully big. Those, those champions, 
They say that they were lion-like. They may not be lions, but they, they're lion-like, and that's a big step. But there's things in, in our lives right now that is blocking us from God's best for our marriages. There's some things in our lives that's blocking us from right relationship with our kids. There's some things in our lives that's blocking us from, from having a, a, a healthy, God-honoring financial stewardship standpoint. There's some things in our life that's blocking us from whatever God desires for us. And if we don't face them, we'll never get to where God wants us to chase. So Beniah, Beniah seemed absolutely outmanned and outnumbered, but he still won. There's some things right now where you feel outmanned and outnumbered in your life. And how do you win? By facing those lions. I believe Beniah gave us a, a, a really good recipe in the first six words of that passage of scripture. It says, Beniah was the son of Jehoiada. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean to me? What does that mean to you? What does that name mean? Well, names, names mean everything because it defines you. And at that moment in his life, it defined Beniah. See, in every occasion that he was referred to in Scripture, in more cases than not, he was referred to as Beniah, son of Jehoiada. So his father's name was pretty important as well. So his father was considered a valiant warrior. He was a brave dude. So you may be saying, well, Beniah had bravery instilled in his bloodline. But as we look at the meaning of their names, what we'll see is it's not so much that bravery was instilled in their bloodline. It's, it's what they believed about God that actually determined how they behaved towards their oppositions, towards their obstacles. So let's look at seniority going first. Jehoiada. Jehoiada means God knows. Benaiah means God builds. And on those two truths, we can rest on the recipe of how to face every lion that we'll encounter in our lives. Because right now, God knows exactly where you're at with your finances. Right now, God knows exactly where you're at in your marriage. God knows exactly where you're at with, with your workplace. God knows exactly where you're at with your school. God knows exactly where you're at right now. So we can rest on the fact that God knows, but also rest on the fact that God builds. God is trying to build in you right now bravery. And what he's trying to build in you cannot be easily broken. And so if God is building bravery inside of me, I can face whatever lion is right in front of me. If I'm, if I'm trying to see a, a, a marriage restored, if I'm trying to chase down that lion, maybe the first lion I need to start facing is, is sending a text real quick and saying, I'm so sorry for hurting you. Maybe, maybe right now, if you, you, you're seeing this big, massive line as, as an addiction being broken, maybe the first line that you need to face is saying, I need to ask for some help. I need to stop putting on the front thinking that I got everything under control. Maybe it's time for me to ask for some prayer. You need to face that line because God is building bravery so that you can face what's right in front of you. Secondly is this, to be a lion chaser, you have to run to the roar. So this is what... Benaiah continues to do in his life in verse 20, and it says, Benaiah, he also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. So let's just get this thing out the gate. He did not kill, like, a lizard. He didn't kill a laughing hyena. He didn't kill a water buffalo. He didn't kill a leopard. The dude killed a lion, all right? So it's not for nothing that lions are called king of beasts because they're incredibly powerful creatures, right? So with one smack of the paw, it can crush the human head. Just 
just like that and smash an egg with just the way that we smash an egg. It can cave in a human skull just like that. And with their teeth, their teeth are so strong and their jaws are so strong that with just one chomp, it can bite through any bone in the human body. And Benai had one or two options. Option one, run away. Option two, give chase. And he went with option two. He gave chase to that lion, chases it down into a pit. Goes down into a pit where there's no room to hide, no room to run, no room but just having two options, kill or be killed. Who thinks that way? Any normal human being, if someone was to say, attention, attention, there is a loose lion around you right now, we would all say, let's run away because there is a huge overarching message that the brain sends to our feet. Run as fast as you can. Go really fast. As a matter of fact, here's a rule of thumb if anyone's trying to survive. You don't have to be the fastest. You just got to be faster than the slowest person. I just got to be faster than whoever's the slowest guy. But as long as he gets eaten first, at least buys me 30 seconds of survival. That's exactly what I'm thinking. But lion chasers, they are triggered completely different. Because what they, don't, what they don't see is they don't see a 500-pound problem. What they don't see is the 500-pound giant beast trying to eat, at, eat away at my dreams. They don't see that stuff. What they see is a giant 500-pound destiny, giant 500-pound dream, God-ordained purpose. They don't see a big giant that they can't defeat. They see a big giant opportunity that they cannot miss. And I've got to go after it right now. I've got to run to that roar right now. How in the world do they think that way? Because they learned one thing. They learned to reframe their fears. Did you, did you know that there's over 2,000 fears categorized in a DSM-5? Only two of them are actually born inside of all of us. The fear of falling, the fear of loud noises, which means thousands of other fears and phobias are actually learned, which means if they can be learned, they can also be unlearned. So there was a study by the assistant professor of psychiatry, Mark Barad, and all of his colleagues at University of California in Los Angeles, and they showed in their study that mice had the ability to overcome their fear. So what they did is kind of like horrific, but, but stay with me here, okay? So what they did first was they, they, they made the mice scared of white noise by giving them like a brief shock. I know, I get it, like they're probably going to go to jail or something, but they, they, they shocked them a little bit, and after two repetitions, after two minutes, the mice were completely traumatized. They were fearful of the white noise that even after the white noise was being played without the shock, they just freeze up. No movement because that was a fear response. I get it. There's times in your life where things take place where you're feeling paralyzed. You're just at a standstill and you can't move because fear has gripped your feet. And so what they did was for, for the mice to recover, researchers broke them down in three categories. They exposed them to different levels of white noise without without shock. So in this group of mice, they expose them in six-second intervals. And in this group of mice, they expose them to 60-second intervals. And in this one, they expose them to 600-second intervals. What they saw was the, the mice that were exposed to it more frequently were the ones that overcame it. After about 20 minutes, these mice had overcome their fear, while the rest of them never overcame it. And they said, those mice are learning something different 
They're learning to suppress their fear. I wonder if that's the same thing that God does with our lives. He puts us in impossible situations where we have to build up an immunity so that those fears don't hinder us from following him. Maybe I know those opportunities look scary and you're scared to fail at those opportunities. Here's what I learned about the fear of failure. The cure for the fear of failure is not success. It's just small doses of failure so you can build up an immunity so those things don't stop you. In, in scripture, it never said that Beniah and, and the rest of David's mighty men ever had to unlearn anything or Beniah was fearful when he was running into to the pit with the lion. Never said any of those things. The one thing we have to understand about running to the war, it doesn't take away danger. It's just reframing fear, knowing it's more dangerous if I end up living safe. The, the, the thing about running to the roar doesn't, doesn't mean that there's an absence of fear. It's just reframing it, knowing that there's something much more important than fear at this present moment. The thing about running to the roar is, is not for the, the possibility of loss being completely off the table. It's, it's just knowing the simple fact that I will lose 100% of the battle I will choose not to fight. Running to the roar is a race that you and I have to run and no one else can run it for us. I hate running in front of people because I walk weird, and so when you do it faster, it just looks that much more weirder. And so I'm not even going to show you guys how I walk or run, but I would rather run to the roar and look foolish rather than walk away and live fearful. And I'm sure the same is true for you guys. Well, Pastor Jay, what if, what if I sign up for that night class and I look foolish? What if I reconcile that marriage, Pastor Jay, and I look foolish? What if I invite that person to church and I look foolish? What, what if I go and, and, and share my faith with my family members, with my coworkers, and I look foolish? What if, what if I join a life group? What if, what if I go on a missions trip and I look foolish? If you're unwilling to look foolish, you are foolish. Because it's that fear that is holding you back from what God's best has in store for you. Benaiah had an option when that lion went into the pit. He could have walked away. Look, no harm, no foul, right? Out of sight, out of mind. But he would always live his life with one eye looking behind him. He says, what, what if that lion ends up climbing out of that pit? What if it terrorizes me? Not just me. What about my kids? What about my grandkids? What about my neighbors, my coworkers? So he goes into that pit and annihilates it. Why? Conquering your alliance is the very thing that's going to give courage for someone else to chase theirs. Yeah, I know it might look foolish trying to put yourself in a position to break an addiction or to reconcile a marriage, but who's to say God doesn't use that to grant courage for someone else to do it? So I can see that working in my life. If God showed up and showed off in their marriage, I'm going to try him out of mine. If God can show up and show off in, in, in their addiction, I saw what they were before that. I want him to do that in my life. Who's to say that your courage is not going to inspire someone else to chase their lions? Lastly is this. To be a lion chaser, you got to keep chasing. You got to keep chasing. Here's what verse 21, 23 says. And he killed an Egyptian, a spectacular man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand. So he went down with a staff, wrestled the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and killed him with his own spear. These things Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, did, and won a name among the three mighty men. And he was more honored than the 30, but he did not attain to the three. And David appointed him over all of his guard. Eventually... Eventually, Benaiah had to climb up out of that pit. 
eventually he had to keep chasing because there was a giant there that was right in front of him. There was a giant there that was terrorizing individuals, and he had to go down there with just a staff and say, I'm going to wrestle this thing off of this man's hand, and I'm going to kill him with it. Can you imagine David going through all of the resumes for people that were trying to be the bodyguard for, for David? Okay, I, I killed two of Moab's weakest men. Nope, nope, let, let, that, let that resume keep going. You know, I, I chased a chicken into a pit on a sunny day. Yup, no. I'll call you, don't call us. I, I, I beat up a little kid for his ice cream cone. He was half my size. You should probably go to jail for that, bro. No, go, get out of here. Then Benias goes right in there. I killed two lion-like Moabs the same time. I chased a lion down into a pit on a snowy day. I wrestled a, a, a spear out of a giant's hand and killed him with it. Can you imagine the guys around David that's helping him read through these resumes? David, he killed a lion like, like you did, bro. He killed a giant just same size as, as Goliath. That's the guy that you want. For Benaiah, could have spelled in any one of those encounters like it was a bad break, but God used it as his big break. He used it as the platform for an entire military career. So he not only landed a job, Benaiah kept chasing. He kept chasing and chasing, and eventually he started climbing up the ranks of the military command, and eventually he became the commander-in-chief. At the end of Benaiah's career, though, he was the second most powerful guy in the, in the Israelites' kingdom, all because he kept chasing. He kept chasing. It wasn't about the promotion because he knew that there was something else past the promotion. It wasn't about the lion in the pit. He knew that there was another person that's out there, a giant that was out there. It wasn't about the two lion-like Moabites. It wasn't about any of those things. I believe that it was much more about the chase than it was actually about the lions. It wasn't about being on the top three. It was just... It's about the chase. I got to keep chasing, keep chasing, because more so than lions, I believe Benaiah was chasing the lion chaser. He knew that the same lion chaser that led him to two lion-like Moabites is the same lion chaser that's going to bring him to the lion in the pit. The same lion in the pit and the same lion chaser that led him there is the same lion chaser that's going to lead him to the promotion in the palace. You and I, we've got to chase after the lion chaser. We've got to hold on to Jesus. We've got to hold on to God and just keep on chasing. You can't stop where you're at right now. You've got to keep on chasing. If we chase after the provider, the provision's going to come. You don't have to worry about the lions if you're chasing the lion chaser. You've got to make sure you just seize the moment when that's right in front of you. If you chase after the dream giver, the dream's going to be there for you to seize. I don't know what lions that God's got for you to chase right now. I don't even know how long he's got you on this chase for. Maybe today you're, you're, you're seeing yourself in a place where I am outmanned and outnumbered. I get it. Maybe you're a single mom and you have a dream for your son and your daughter to have a better life than you did. God knows exactly where you're at and he knows where your financial state is. He knows exactly where you're at if you find yourself in the pit of life, but you can't sit there. You can't stay there. If Benaiah stood there, it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I killed a lion. He would have missed out on his promotion. That pit is only part of the promise. It ain't the whole thing. It's part of the process, and I just got to keep chasing. I got to keep chasing. I got to keep going. You can't stop right now. Maybe there's a giant in front of you. 
that you feel is trying to crush and kill your dream. Can I just tell you right now what, what the enemy will try to do to kill your dream is the same thing that God's going to use to catapult it to another level. What, what the enemy's going to try to do to break your dreams, the weapons that he can use to break your dreams, can I just tell you, God is a builder. He can wrestle that thing out of your enemy's hands and use it to build your resume. God right now is building you up. He is building you. Don't stop. Keep chasing. Maybe today it's time for you to reconcile that relationship. Maybe today it's time for you to apply for that job. Maybe today it's, it's time for you to, to stop just coming to church and saying, God, use me. Use me. Use my gifts. Use my talents. Use me. Time for me to, to go to a life group. Time for me to go on a mission trip. Time for me to go on an outreach. You know, there's an old aphorism. No guts, no glory. The lions that you refuse to chase right now is robbing the glory that God rightfully deserves. Right now, it's time for you to chase it. It's time for us to chase it. So where are you at today? Maybe you're here today, you're trying to chase it. Can I just tell you, you won't catch up without Christ. You'll never catch up to it without Christ because he'll point you in the right direction. You just got to face your lion. And right now, maybe what you need to face is that step of faith, saying, God, I place my life in your hands. Forgive me. Put your spirit inside of me so that I could live a life unleashed, uncaged, so I can chase after what you got right in front of me. That's your response today. Maybe today, right now, for the rest of us, where are you settling? What's God called you to chase after that you're not running after? What's God called you to face right now that today I need to start facing it? Where's the roar? I get it, that roar sounds really scary, but can I just tell you sometimes God disguises his voice in the roar of a scary looking lion. What if that roar right now that's scaring you half to death is God calling you to step out in faith? It's time for you to look foolish for God. Keep chasing. I believe right now God's going to speak to us and how he wants us to respond. Would you take a moment? Would you pray with us? Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.